a little bit from home and there was that new aspect of living independently with a disability that I did really struggle with in my first year. So acclimatizing to the environment and there's like laundry and cooking and grocery shopping and still studying and getting everything else done and socializing and there's so much that you're not really used to or ready for but then I think beyond that I settled in really well. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Welcome, Sammy, to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this chat. We have tried so hard to make this happen, so I'm really happy we're finally okay. getting some time to get it done. <laughs> I think it's been like at least six weeks. Of I fun. know. Yeah. It's absolutely wild when you like actually put a time span on it, isn't it? I know, but we're in also. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's dive in, shall we? So the first question that I ask everybody on the podcast is, how do you refer to your disability? I guess it depends on the context, really. Um, I guess more generally, I refer to it as a, a brain injury because, you know, most people don't have medical background or mm-hmm. I have cerebral palsy. So if I if I talk to a doctor or a medical professional, I'll refer to it as cerebral palsy because they know what that is. They have an understanding yeah. of disability and what entails. But in terms of the day-to-day, most people won't know what that entails. And when they're asking, they want to gain an understanding of what my disability is and how it affects me. So I feel as if a brain injury is the best way to describe that because if I give them medical jargon there, then it's not really going to yeah. kind of get them any closer to what they want to understand. So I normally describe it as a brain injury unless it's someone who's more clued on, whether they're in the disabled sphere or the medical sector. Um, yeah. I will just refer to it as a brain injury. I think that that's like what you say about whether or not people are necessarily going to understand what you're saying about your disability, you know, because it can be really difficult to try and explain what your disability is if someone asks you. I mean, obviously, this is if they've asked you in the right way, not just like some random on the street. But actually, there's a lot to be said for like demedicalizing your own disability, because I think so often disabled people are medicalized so incessantly and actually kind of taking that away and just being like, yeah, this is what it is. Like, it's not too complex to get your head around if I refer to it this way. I think that's a really like great way to describe your disability, but also quite a thoughtful way as well, because you're actually thinking about someone else, which is actually really nice. And I'm not always sure that I do that. Yeah, I, I think really when it comes to people, people asking for the most part, I think they want to, they're just being... A, being nice, B, being inquisitive, and mm-hmm. they want to better understand you. And I think the best way to, to do that is by describing it in layman's terms as opposed to terms that may need a medical degree or medical experience, which is of no use to them at all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like it's it's so true. It's so true. And especially when you're, especially when you're talking about something like CP, which is a brain injury, but then also equally, like not everybody knows that because I didn't know that until really recently yeah and like I didn't I as a disabled person didn't realize that you acquired CP that you weren't born with CP which I think like 
is wild because so often when you do think about it you you automatically assume that you're born with cerebral palsy but that's not always the case yeah so uh, i think like you said when it comes to to the, the acknowledgement of the disability i think it's important to recognize it's on a more foundational level as opposed to just mm-hmm. starting at your understanding you need to start their understanding so that's yeah. the approach i take and i feel as if it's been useful so far yeah and um, and with that what was childhood like for you with cp um i think i mean it's a good question it's a very complex <laughs> um, i think it was for the most part good i think you know primary school was very plain sailing i had a lot of surgery from I think from the age of 10, so year five to year seven, I was mm-hmm. not in school. Um, so I left in year five and rejoined in year seven, which yeah. is a bit of a jump because you go from being in primary school to rejoining school in secondary school with 16, 17 year olds. So, so it was yeah. a bit of a jump, but um, I think for the most part it was fine. I think in primary school, I think children are quite naive and innocent in the sense of they're a lot more accepting. I think secondary school was a little bit more complicated when it came to social mm. norms and expectations and what people considered, I guess, normal. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really have any reservations when it came to that because I I guess I, I liked myself and I had kind of faith in myself as, as an individual and for me that was all that mattered. Um, and I guess there's always different opinions when it comes to everything, not only disability. So I wasn't really too faced by... I mean, there, there were stages within my education whereby I, I clearly didn't fit as much because mm-hmm. um, the first person to, to... Sorry, the first disabled person to attend my, my school. Um, so they had no prior infrastructure when it came to disability yeah also there was an experience not only with the students but also the staff so there was a big learning curve for everyone including myself and the staff and the students and obviously when it comes to your adolescence your teenage years it's more difficult to kind of fit in because you don't fit that prototype but yeah personally I don't it didn't really bother me because I had faith in who I was as a person so I didn't really I wasn't really too fast, but I, I mean, as a whole, it was not too problematic. There were elements or stages whereby not being disabled would have been easier, of course, but mm-hmm. it wasn't too problematic at all. I think it's so interesting what you say about how you weren't in school for like, what was it, two years? Yeah, so um, so for, for the first, I think from the age of four to... And maybe eight thousand special educational needs mm-hmm. in within my primary school, which was, you know, I, I consider myself to be a reasonable intelligence. So, so <laughs> when it came to be in a class with those that required intellectual help and had intellectual difficulties, mm-hmm. um, I was I felt as if I wasn't being challenged, and I was in that class for yeah. three or four years, and then I was slowly integrated into mainstream education so I really only had one year of mainstream education when I was 
nine years old and then I went into surgery and I came back home when I was 12 and suddenly I was in year seven with one year of mainstream education to, in, a, in a grammar school as well, just trying to trying to keep up with the rest of my cohort, I guess. So That is quite something, to be honest, though, isn't it, really? Like going from like one full year of mainstream education to then, you know, being being out of education through no fault of your own and then going into secondary education which in and of itself is a really difficult time for anyone like I don't care what you say being a teenager is rough like but then but then for you to go in with only one one year almost under your belt was it a lot of playing catch-up or was it actually like all right because if you said like you quite clearly back yourself which is an amazing trait to have but but what was that like was it a case of catching up or was it actually quite plain sailing for you so to be honest I think I, I read a lot of books as a, as a child. I enjoyed like yeah. fiction and just reading. So I think that helped me to keep up even when I wasn't necessarily having that challenge within education. Yeah. So I do think that bridged the gap to some part. And even when I was in hospital, I went to a school within hospital and they gave me really challenging work every day. And even though I wasn't within a mainstream educational environment you know I felt as if I was being pushed I was being stretched mm. and I was learning so by the time I got into secondary school you know I passed the 11 plus while I was in while I was in rehab from my surgery um so I felt as if because I, I got in I almost deserved yeah. it and I was good enough so there wasn't as much pressure on me um but there, there was elements of, you know, I, I don't know what that is. I'm not used to this teaching yeah. style. Or, you know, there were obvious gaps that were only really obvious for me. And it did take some time to catch up. Yeah. But I do feel as if there were things, like I said, reading independently or schools within hospitals that really benefited me and helped me from preventing to kind of fall behind. I so until you just said that you went to school and hospital, like I didn't realize that that was a thing. <laughs> like... Yeah, there, there, are, there are like dedicated hospital hospital teachers, and they're great, and, and like and, and like there there are schools within hospitals, and I would wake up and I would you know have my have my medicine or whatever they wanted me to mm-hmm. take, do my physio, and then from like maybe after breakfast until. But, you know, the the early afternoon, I would go in and just they had like a math, um, I guess game or program on a laptop mm-hmm. and play every day, and there was no structure really. They they just wanted you to to develop academically in some way. Yeah. Some days they'll bring in musical instruments, or one day that they brought in a human brain for me to hold. And oh, I, I'd be sick. Oh, <laughs> I got enjoyed it. Like, I, had to, I had to wear gloves, but you know, I was like ten years old, and I was quite... <laughs> but loved it. <laughs> yeah, I did love it, but um, no, I, I mean, they, they have dedicated staff and dedicated resources and programs for both, you know, um, children that are in their in their short term and long term mm-hmm. to to continue their development while they're they're ill or while they're recovering. Wow. I've well, I've already learned something new in the first like couple of minutes of this podcast that hospital schooling is a thing. Like who knew? I clearly did not. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's quite a fun job too. Like you get to interact with so many mm. children and you get to follow your passion in the purest way. So I, I think if you are a teacher, I think a hospital teacher is the right way to go. 
I think that's what I would do if I, I was a teacher. To be honest, it's actually a really like. Now that you've said it, I feel really silly that I didn't think that it was a thing before because obviously, like, it makes sense to have, you know, a couple of teachers on your staffing for when kids are in for like prolonged periods of time who need help academically because you just wouldn't let them like not progress. And so as soon as you said it, it makes sense. But it's not until someone has said it that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's a thing. That's a job. Yeah, like, I didn't know. <laughs> uh, and like, my, my school would give me homework they gave me like long-term homework because they knew I'd be out for a while but it was like yeah. make a poster and I was like I don't really have the resources or the energy to, to make a poster so I guess the, the hospital school was, was really useful in determining my I guess the capacity I had to learn and mm-hmm. they catered to my needs which is really useful and really great um and uh, I learned a lot in, in the hospital, you know, like I said, uh, I was able to hold a human brain and, and we, we used human, uh, sorry, sorry, musical instruments and we we studied loads of different subjects. So it was really useful in terms of not only learning, but also meeting other children that were also either recovering or were ill or even telling yeah. people that they still wanted to learn and just occupy their time with education. Wow, like I just say, I think that you, that you had that structure has probably benefited you like endlessly because because as you said, like you went from having one year of mainstream education to then being in hospital, then having hospital education, and then going into what was it like eleven plus at grammar yeah, so, school? Yeah, so uh, I I think it was during my rehabilitation when I was out mm-hmm. of school, but I couldn't attend school. I went in just to take the eleven plus. And thankfully, I passed. And then, mm-hmm. I, so I went into grammar school, which is relatively relatively intense in terms of state school education. And, you know, it's, it's the more academically driven students that don't yeah. go to private school, if you like. Um, and you know, the the competition was so high in the school, and it was more. There was a lot of catch up to be honest, because they were so capable. My peers were so capable that. Yeah. I thought as if I needed to kind of match that level and, yeah. you know, and not having much formal education. I did find, for example, like writing essays, I had no clue. And then <laughs> on my first week of school, like, they were writing really complex essays and I had to just take a crack at it and learn from it and grow from it. So there mm-hmm. was a steep, steep learning curve. Yeah. And interestingly, so you've gone through school you know you've done what you need to do how was life after being in school and and how did your disability or how does your disability impact your career choices after school I think to be honest I had less of an impact in a way because mm-hmm. when I, I went to university I went to the University of Warwick after I left school um I feel as if it was almost a clean slate it was there were no yeah. preconceptions. People were more open to my disability. They were, they were more open to, to I guess, the, the social aspect of myself. So, mm-hmm. um, in a way, I felt like it was easier, but also I had to live independently. I lived on campus. Yeah. I lived away from home, and there was that new aspect of living independently with a disability 
I did really struggle with in my first year because it's all climatizing to the environment and there's like laundry and cooking and grocery shopping and still studying and getting everything else done and socializing and there's so much that you're not really used to or ready for mm-hmm. with it and I think beyond that I settled in really well and I think yeah. it was a really good experience for the most part at university um, and then beyond that in my career I don't think my disability impacts my career choices too much I think mm-hmm. you know I'd say you know when I was maybe seven or eight I wanted to be a doctor but I quickly, <laughs> I quickly realized maybe I'm not the best candidate actually I wanted to be a footballer when I was like four or five years old and I'm all yeah. Jesus so that was never going to happen it was never going to happen um but I love football so I thought maybe in the back of my mind it could could be a possibility but I moved on to being a doctor and then I didn't really think I could be a doctor being a wheelchair user because, you know, when you're performing surgery, I I don't think being this high up would would be of use when performing surgery. But um, I think beyond that, I moved on to more, I guess, academically driven careers. Um, Mm -hmm. I considered being a lawyer for a while. I actually applied to a few few corporate law firms Mm -hmm. at university and I then considered finance, which I've moved on to more concretely. Um, I work in audit at the moment. I've actually resigned recently from my role. I'm looking to move into. Move in. I know it's a, it's a bit of an uh, exclusive. I I resigned <laughs> two weeks ago. Um, oh wow! Yeah, so I'm just looking for a bit of a change within finance and something a bit more. So audit is very examining previous and past finances and looking Mm -hmm. a bit more forward thinking a bit more driven in that sense so um yeah i'm looking for a new role so if anyone's listening let me know but um yeah i recently (laughs) resigned i was there for two years i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it i learned a lot and i'm trying to move on to other things yeah but in terms of career paths Generally, when it comes to disability, um, I don't really, uh, obviously there's limitations, like when I was at university, I could never really be a barista or a waiter, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many stereotypical student roles that I couldn't fulfill. Yeah. Um, so obviously, uh, but in, in that sense, yeah, I, I couldn't do that, but in terms of a career, I don't think there's much that has been withheld from me in that sense I think you know the things I want to do if I want to work in finance then I can if I want to work in consulting I can obviously with 10,000 available interns we open that door slightly more to provide mm-hmm. for more sorry less biased windows of opportunity into those sectors yeah. and that's something we're looking to push here on here but for the most part I don't think there was obvious bias I think within application processes and the nature of disability when applying it was a lot more difficult um, because you don't really have as much time as other people to commit to 50 60 applications with loads of different firms and then beyond that you know you'll email them saying you need reasonable adjustments and then they'll get back to you a week later but then the roles already been filled that's Mm -hmm. happened a few times um 
so the, there are barriers to entry, of course, but for the most part, I think um, if you want to pursue a career, I think you just go for it because for the most part, there, there won't be barriers. If it's a more physical career choice, then obviously you may be limited depending on your disability, but if it's something academically focused or intellectually focused, just go for it and just I think firms are there to help you as much as they can, and they're increasingly becoming more aware of disability. So if you do drop them an email and just say, I need this, this, and this, they're normally happy to oblige. Mm -hmm. And you've already alluded to it there, but talk me through 10,000 disabled interns. What is it? What does it do? How does it work? So I guess, like I said, um, during my university experience as a student, um, I felt as if I didn't really have as much time as my peers to apply mm -hmm. to internships with that same depth. And when when you specifically when you attend, you know, well, one of the one of the most competitive universities, everyone's applying for an internship. And yeah. I also come from a, a low income background. And to be honest, when someone first said to me like. Uh, I remember coming back in in autumn and someone said to me, which internships have you applied to? I had no idea what they were talking about because I was the first person in my, my family to go to university. I had no prior experience or exposure to internships. Mm -hmm. I didn't really, you know, I'd heard about it in movies, but I didn't really know that was a thing. Like what they were. Did. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know people actively applied to internships. So, so someone said to me, which ones have you applied to? And I was like, None yet, but um, I you know I got some information from one of my friends. I went home and I looked up every conceivable internship, and even then, you know, I found out that people apply to maybe fifty to eighty internships per year, and they each take from a few hours to a couple of days. I just didn't have the the spare time to commit mm -hmm. to those applications and. I really felt as if there was a gap in the market or a space for a framework to better cater to disabled students. And mm -hmm. that was why I started 10,000 terms. And, and I think in terms of how it works, we reach out to firms, we get them to pledge internships. So mm -hmm. they'll commit a minimum of one intern. Um, and, you know, it can go as high as 50, 60, 70, depending on the size and scope of the firm. But firms will typically pledge a minimum of one internship. And then beyond that, we'll get that, we'll get students to apply if they have a disability or a long-term health condition. Um, and it's gone really well so far. And uh, uh, candidates are typically matched up with firms of best fit with that sector or values or their availability and they'll be matched up with a firm and they'll be given an experience at the local living wage at a bare minimum. A lot of them are paid a lot more than that in, you know, the corporate sector, which mm -hmm. is great. Um and so many students have benefited from the program. It's so great to to see and to hear about their experiences. And we've had firms like Goldman Sachs, Lloyd's, AXA I'm trying to think of sectors outside of finance. Um, <laughs> PwC, I guess that's kind of finance too. Um, but, you know, we've had law firms, accounting firms, finance firms, 
we've had creative studios, media firms, marketing, fashion, the whole range of firms being involved in our program. And it's been such a beneficial experience to our interns. Yeah, I can imagine because as as you so rightly said, quite a lot of the time disabled people and particularly disabled students don't have that extra time to fill in forms and internship applications because they, they take a while they take a long time you know you've got to be quite detailed in them and and actually if you're able to ro- provide a service where you know you're looking at particularly at disabled students and being able to match them up with a good with a good internship then that's something that's really valuable because we we don't always have the extra time that other people have and we and we don't always have the same access that other people do but if if you're able to match people up with the internships that they want in the sectors that they want then that's a wonderful thing that you're able to do and able to give yeah i think also like i alluded to briefly earlier um you know when it comes to applications i think that there are certain aspects of applications that are so inaccessible to disabled students I think also like I said when it comes to letting them know about your adjustments you know they may take a week to reply or Mm -hmm. you know email inboxes can be can be flooded so if they ask you to email them your reasonable adjustments and clarify your your needs and then in a week they'll get back to you and the application process is on a rolling basis they've already started taking interviews while you're going back and forth explaining your needs then you're immediately at disadvantage yeah I just I love the fact that you're pairing people who need each other together and I think that's a really like great way to go about getting more disabled talent out there regardless of what sector it is because the world knows that we all need more disabled talent in every single industry so I think it's really wonderful that you're able to provide that service and and make sure that disabled people are still thought about when it comes to internships because quite often they're not and everything that you've said about the extra time and the inaccessibility of of the forms to even start getting an internship and even when you're thinking about you know as you said like sending in your your reasonable adjustments as soon as you've done that they've already filled the spot because the time is the time is gone so actually how great is it that disabled students can now join so I'm really about to sneeze I'm really trying hard not to sneeze (laughs) I'm like trying to look up at the ceiling so that I don't sneeze everywhere because it just won't be that nice on camera does that normally help yeah, if you look up to the ceiling, it can stop a sneeze. It can stop it like there and there. I'll bear that in mind. <clears throat> yeah, hot tip. If you look up to the ceiling, you can stop sneezing. Okay, we're good to go. Back to what to, I was saying. Pardon? If you want to, just go for it. I won't, I won't judge. Do you know what? It's I actually just don't like sneezing full stop. I find sneezing makes me feel really discombobulated. And I don't like afterwards. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Kind of like I have to put myself back together again. So just um, never sneeze, I guess. Oh, I just try hard not to, especially at like really inconvenient times. I'm like, hey, not right now, not right now. And also, yeah. like the the noise that I make when I sneeze is is not becoming. Like it is not nice. <laughs> I don't think anyone has a nice noise when they sneeze. I mean, absolutely fair. I just think it's bigged up now in my head. I've been trying to avoid it for so long that actually if it happens, it's going to be like, I don't know what's going to go on. <laughs> I'll be worried if I don't worry. 
Um, as I was saying, the the idea that you're able to match up people who want disabled talent and undisabled talent who wants to be, you know, put to work or gain an internship is actually really invaluable because a lot of people don't always realize that these things exist, particularly things like access to work. A lot of people aren't always sure that that type of thing exists. And, and it's lovely that you're able to put that out there. So I think it's a really laudable thing to be commended for. But interestingly, we've spoken about childhood, we've spoken about university and, and how there was challenges presented in, in both. And I was wondering, do you have a piece of advice for a younger version of yourself going through those changes? Um, when you say younger, how how young are you talking? As young as you want to give yourself this piece of advice. I never want to put an age limit on it because I just feel like some people would give themselves advice at eight years old or some people would give themselves advice at 18 years old and, and they would probably still be really valid. So whichever feels right to you. I feel like the advice will be different at different stages, to be honest. But I guess I I don't think I'd have much advice for me as a young child because it feels as if I did pretty well. But I guess as a teenager, I'd say, or maybe even, even you know, going into that secondary school environment, it would just be, mm-hmm. uh, I think if you just stay true to yourself, um, Irrespective of whether or not I have a disability, I think this is very broadly applicable. Um, I think there are there are, I guess, trends or or maybe elements of life that you can lean into or mm-hmm. um, to tap into to maybe make life easier on yourself, make yourself more, make make yourself better more, I guess, but. If that's only you, then there's no need for you to do that because it's all short time in the end. Like, well, life is so, so long in a sense, and and that period of your life will only be four or five years, and there's no need for you to change who you are in order to to make something of yourself or to succeed or to fit in even, because yeah. eventually, you know, there there'll be elements of yourself that will seamlessly fit into other aspects of society that aren't necessarily catered to or appreciated within that adolescence or a teenage environment because mm-hmm. like teenagers can be very narrow in their in their appreciation of what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And yeah. When you become when you reach adulthood that opens up and there's no need to really conform to to such narrow um, expectations mm-hmm. I like that a lot there's there's no need for you to conform to narrow expectations I think that's something that every like everybody can take that on board because you're right teenagers are just do you know what it's hard work being a teenager oh you couldn't you couldn't pay me enough money to go back and be a teenager you really couldn't yeah I think you know I enjoyed it a lot but in some aspects but in other aspects they can be quite fickle they can be quite I, I guess they can be quite shallow and they're all... Uh, well, I, I think it's know. it's the time of your life when everything's changing, isn't it? It's like the first time you're really experiencing like your body's changing because of hormones and, and everybody just wants to fit in and, and it's awkward because everybody's changing at different times and, and things are happening that you didn't realise could happen. And, and it like, you know, and also nobody gives you a handbook for those years. 
and and to be fair I'm not even sure if someone did give you a handbook you'd read it but there's so much change that goes on bodily hormonally all of the above it's just it's a difficult time to try and navigate especially when boys and girls are going through it together and it's it's a really interesting it's a really interesting microcosm of society when we look at it but actually do I want to go back and be a teenager again Probably not. Like you'd you'd have to pay me an awful, awful lot of money. Like I'm talking in the millions to go back and be a teenager again. <laughs> I think um, when it comes to kind of the, the expectations on a teenager, uh, I think it, it varies depending on because people grow at different rates, people mature at different rates. Not only physically but intellectually, and mm. it's such a kind of gap when it comes to I guess your cohort and and everyone's trying to fit in but also be their own person and there's, there's this disparity that's quite conflicting and uh, I think you know it, it, it's an interesting time it, it can be a fun time but it's also very I, I guess awkward in the sense that no one really yeah. knows who they want to be or what they are or what is right what is wrong and they're just looking to kind of ride the wave, I guess, until they reach adulthood. So, so I think being disabled adds a layer to that. Yeah, yeah. There's um, another layer added to being a like being a teenager in itself is awkward, but then being a disabled teenager is like another little. It's like a little extra spice, isn't it? Like, <laughs> here's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I think I mean it wasn't it wasn't terrible at all. And beyond that, I think. Um, when I reached, I don't know, when I, when I went to university, I think everything kind of smoothed out and it wasn't, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think, like I said, you know, childhood was complex, but not too, I, it was challenging in the, in, in the intellectual sense, but it wasn't challenging personally, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. I enjoyed my childhood and then beyond that, teenage years were slightly trickier. And then you go on to university, you go on to adulthood and everything kind of works out. So coming back to your question, I think my advice would just be to, to ride the wave and just wait for things to work themselves out. Yeah. So through hardship, I like to think that if you've learned something about yourself, then it's, you know, there's been some growth. And I was wondering, through any hardship that you've faced, is there a particular positive trait about yourself that you're really proud of? Uh, I think uh, I'm a very hard worker. You know, I'm mm-hmm. quite driven in, in every sense, whether that's my work or, I mean, really anything. I, I'm quite mm-hmm. driven. I don't really fold easily. I, I get things done. I move on to the next milestone. Um I'm also quite adaptable in terms of when you have a disability, you have to adapt a lot or you have to problem solve. I'm very, yeah. you know, adaptable be my perspective on things is very positive. I, I, you know, I'm very grateful for everything I have and and nothing really phases me. I can take things on the chin and move on. Um, but I think in general, you know, I take, take life as it comes. I'm very driven and ambitious in terms of my work and even my personal life um I don't really think there's anything I can't do to be honest um Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah I think that would be it (laughs) I really like that that you said you know that you're really ambitious because I think 
a lot of people don't realize that disabled people can also be ambitious and that like disability and ambition uh, can coexist and that's something that can be absolutely fine whereas a lot of people don't necessarily put two and two together they think just because you're disabled doesn't mean that you have you don't have ambitions like you've got no drive like you you've got no goals to get and actually that couldn't be further from the truth because every single disabled person I know happens to have like big goals that they want to achieve in their life or they have little goals that are really meaningful to them and and I really love that actually a positive trait that you like about yourself is that you have ambition because I think it's super important yeah I think really it's kind of one of the building blocks of being an adult you need something that drives you you need something that pushes you forward from from day to day and when it comes to ambition I do have a lot of goals, but even if you only have one goal, I think, you know, that that, that goal to look forward to is, is very important in giving meaning to your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. I only have one final question for you, Sammy, and that is, are you disabled and proud? Yeah, of course. I think, um, I mean, that's quite an easy question. I think if you're not, then... You're only being detrimental to yourself. I think if you do have a disability and, you know, you you try away from that or you're not proud of that or you're almost ashamed of that, then you're only making making life more difficult for yourself because you're going to have to face it either way. And and if you're not proud or you're ashamed of that or you shy away from that, I think you're going to achieve less. You're going to live less of a life almost. And I think if you're... On the flip side, if you're able to tap into that, like you've done, like I've done, and you know, make something else of it, then it, it multiplies the, 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 I guess, the, the way in which you live your life mm-hmm. so much. And I, yeah, I just think, you know, if you're willing to A, focus on the positives and B, yeah, I think you just to an extent ignore it and just live your life how you would have done any other way, then then you're able to commit to it and achieve so much. And like I said, if if you're if you're ashamed of your identity, even more broadly, whether it's your gender, your race, anything, then you're going to achieve less, you're going to have less confidence in yourself, you're you're going to be less happy in, in your day to day life. So I think just embrace everything you are irrespective mm-hmm. of you know whether it's like as a race sexuality gender disability embrace it all as it comes and because you can't change it really so you may as well embrace it and then beyond that just tap into it and just enjoy yourself yeah oh I've loved that I love what you said about just like embracing it and actually just tap into yourself because because you're your own best knowledge and that's wonderful I have really enjoyed this chat, Sammy. Um, I want to say thank you for coming on today. And I'm so glad we managed to sit down and make this work. And I think it's been super interesting, particularly talking about 10,000 disabled interns. I think that's a really valuable source, particularly for disabled students to, to have access to. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally got around to it because it's been weeks and weeks of me cancelling you cancelling me cancelling you cancelling so oh i know back and forth (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you so much thank you i mean yeah like i said it was great to come on and great to have the exposure and i love the format the the concept of the the podcast so 
Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.